0: Good morning, welcome to Awaken Church as we're kicking off the fall. My name is Frank, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken and this past week was the first week of classes for my girls, my sons in college. Uh, My three girls are now, all three of them in high school, senior, sophomore, and freshman. So, you know, teenagers in public school, so it's back to, uh, you know, waking up early, Packing lunches, riding school buses, meeting new friends, reconnecting with old friends, adjusting to new teachers, fun, fun, fun. But what has been really cool is for my wife and I now this past week, again, was our first week, and Josiah was here for half of it anyway, but it's like we wake up to this quiet house and, you know, because the girls are catching their bus at 6.15 in the morning, and I'm sorry, we are just not interested in getting up quite that early in the morning, so... We're like, what are we going to do with ourselves? It's the first time in over a decade that we've not been homeschooling. And so it has just been this interesting adjustment. And uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. We'll let you know how it goes. Actually, we might not if it goes really well. But fun, fun. So I was reading my devotional this morning, our devotional time. And there's a story about this girl who was in Sunday school class and she was drawing a picture. And the teacher came up behind her and said, what is that that you're drawing, sweetheart? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, just kind of smiled and says, but sweetheart, nobody really knows what God looks like. And she says, they will when I'm done. So, which is great and kind of reflective of what we've been doing over the course of this summer. So for those of you who haven't been with us over the course of this summer, we're wrapping up our summer series today And we'll jump into some really cool stuff uh, for the fall starting next week. But over the course of this summer, what we've done is as a church, we've been focused on studying Jesus. And I know if you haven't been a part of us in the summer, you're like, isn't that what you're supposed to do every week? And we're like, yes. However, specifically, our goal this summer has been to shift our view, shift our perspective, shift our focus away from the things that Jesus tells us to do and how Jesus tells us to live and instead focus on the man, to focus on the Son of God and how the stories, the words, and the activity of Jesus reveals something unique about him and to allow our knowing of Jesus drive whatever we would do. And that also seems kind of obvious, right? It seems like, well, as Christians, shouldn't our knowing Jesus drive what we do? And absolutely, it should. The challenge is oftentimes that's not the way it ends up because in our hectic and busy culture, it's become commonplace for Christians to kind of come to church and like, let's just cut to the chase. And, and we want our tell me what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live and give me some action steps that are really quick and give me these prepackaged microwave lessons in 30 minutes or less. And that can end up being how what we look at to to sustain us over the course of our week and sustain our faith. And we want the benefits of being a Christian without necessarily putting in the time, the effort, the work to know him. And so we just wanted to take a summer to kind of shift that mindset. And so over the course of this summer everything that we've been focused on has simply been to understand and know Jesus better and we'll leave the action step to you. And so this week, we are closing out that series, and, and we're trying to, uh, and we'll. I think, I'm hoping this is a shift that's a bit more permanent, right? And hopefully, just like that little girl that at the end of this summer series, for those of you who've been with us through this whole ride, it's been like, you know, yeah, I do know what Jesus looks like a little better. It's also been, and, and this is also interesting, on occasion, we do Awaken Q&A series, and so we'll close out with that this week, and what that means is if... Um, if you've had any questions, comments, or thoughts over the course of the service, and just like, hey, there was something that you said, Frank, that I was kind of, uh, with, then feel free to text your question, comment, or thoughts to AwakenQ&A at gmail.com, and we'll take a few minutes to kind of review those at the end. So with that said, I'm excited to be able to close out our summer series with an interesting and a rather unique story in the scriptures. It's a story that takes place right after another story that I shared three weeks ago, the story of the wind and the waves found in Mark chapter 4. So I'm going to give you a quick recap, and then we'll dive into this morning. So Jesus has just finished teaching a crowd of Jews on a side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this large multitude, and he actually got into a boat in order to teach them to be better Heard And then that evening, as he's wrapped up a long day of teaching and preaching, and they're crossing the lake at Jesus' direction, and he's taking a nap, and as the scriptures say, with a pillow under his head, which is nice and cozy, and in the middle of the lake, a storm hits them. The disciples have done everything they can to paddle and get their way out of the storm. And finally, when it gets to the point where it's overwhelming, they go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care that we're about to drown? Do you not care that there's a storm? Do you not care that we're working our butts off while you're taking a nap? And Jesus wakes up. He gets up. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. And everything calms down. And the reaction, and Jesus tells them, you know, oh, you of little faith. And the reaction of the disciples is fascinating because they look at Jesus, the same Jesus they've seen perform miracles, casting out demons, healing people, and now saying, who is this man? And that was the question we wrestled with three weeks ago. Who is this man? Man, and I think that's a question that all of us need to be asking at some point in our lives. Who is Jesus? And the answer for them in that moment is that Jesus is the God of miracles, and he still is today. And the idea that the disciples had to wrap their minds around, and what was important for us to do as well, is that there's no situation in life. There's no trial that you can face. There's no difficulty that you can endure. There's no question you can possibly imagine that would ever stump God, that would ever cause God to say, hmm... That's a tough one right there. I don't know if I have an answer for that, right? That is, that is impossible. And on the heels of this incredible realization, they have now, the story we're going into, they now crossed the lake and have landed on shore, parked on shore, docked on, I have no idea. They just end up on the sand, and Jesus is finally on the other shore, and he, they, the disciples are getting out of the boat, and as they're getting out of the boat, The Bible leads us into the story we're going to cover this morning, the story of legion. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chain and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, that is an introduction. So Mark's saying, now I'd like you to meet this man. He's homeless unless you count sleeping with dead people in their tombs as having a home. He's got some controlling friends who like to chain him up, tie him up, strap him down with handcuffs, ropes, chains, shackles, and every single time he, oh, I don't know, breaks them because he's stronger than The Rock or Brock Lesnar or whoever you might imagine. And finally, his job, his job is to wander alongside these tombs and this shore, this wandering madman scaring away everyone who wants to come to visit this side of the lake. Not that many Jews would want to because this side of the Sea of Galilee was exclusively Gentile. That means there were no Jewish settlements on this side. And because of that, the Jews looked at this area as being full of non-believing pagans with whom most of us would want to have no contact with whatsoever anyway. So they didn't receive many visitors, and the few that they did got scared off at this point by this wandering madman. And so here are the disciples. Again, you're understanding the context of the story. They, braved, they finished a long day of preaching and teaching. They've gone across the lake, braved this storm, witnessed Jesus command the wind and the waves to stop beating up on their boats. They finally arrived on shore to the other side to be met by this unrestrained madman roaming around this non-Jewish, Gentile, Area And these disciples are probably wondering, what is going on here, and how could this possibly get any worse? Verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I Beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. I don't know why Mark wrote it in this way. I'm sure there is some fancy thing that Andrew could probably tell you about why they did. But the narrative, as it plays out, is there's this. they've landed on shore. This possessed man sees them. He is running towards them. And as he's running towards them, Jesus commands this evil spirit to come out of him. And so this man, filled with possessed, or possessed by demons, throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and says, why are you going to be torturing me? What have we to do with one another? Why are you interfering with my work? They're not even your people. They're not Jews. They're mine. So the story gets a bit more interesting here, doesn't it? And a lot more interesting, but also a lot more clear. So yes, it's weird, to imagine this story as being real and true, to imagine that there's this demon-possessed man charging at Jesus, Jesus seeing him coming and commanding for the demons to come out of this man, the disciples cowering in fear, and the man throwing himself at Jesus' feet all at the same time. That's a chaotic scene. But none of these details are the most important thing. The most important thing for us to notice, to realize in this chaotic scene is that the story is about Jesus. We make this story about legion, demon possession, sometimes about mental health and is mental health a thing. But the story is about Jesus. It's not the story about a demon possessed man. He knows it's about Jesus, which is why he runs to Jesus it's not a story about the disciples they're hiding somewhere behind Jesus and finally it's not a story about demons because the demons are the ones begging for Jesus not to send them away and not to torture them so what Jesus is doing in this scene is not only is he taking center stage but what Jesus is doing when you strip away everything else is that Jesus is entering into a dead world literally right tombs, dead people in the ground. Jesus enters into this place of death and offers new life. That is what Jesus is doing here. Everything else is semantics. Jesus is entering a place of death and offering new life. And Jesus does the same for us today, does he not? So yes, in this story, there is a demon-possessed, tortured man. So what? Our world today is filled with souls enslaved by Satan and under the enemy's dominion. Yes, he's a man who cannot be bound and is completely unrestrained. So what? Our world is filled with people like that. People who want to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and, want the, and expect people around them to simply approve of what they're doing. If you don't believe me, read the news. Pick up any article that you can read. That's the way our society is built today. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want you to judge me for it. As a matter of fact, I want you to prove it. None of these details, as remarkable as they may seem, makes this story incredible and unbelievable. What is remarkable is that Jesus steps into this madness and this darkness, and he enters into this deadness, and he chooses to exercise his authority over the evil that he sees. Verse nine, then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. I was wondering about this question because it seems weird, doesn't it? In Psalm 147, uh, when the Bible's talking about God, it says about God that even what we sang this morning, right? That he counts all the stars and he calls them all by name. So here's God, who knows exactly how many of the billions and billions and billions of stars there are in existence, and he knows each and every one of them personally by name. And yet, that same God, in human form, of course, as Jesus, has to ask this man filled with demons, what is his name? That's kind of interesting. And the response is legion. And legion maybe is not as much of a name as much as it is a title, Legion's a familiar term for those who were living in Jesus' day under the a rule and authority of the Roman Empire. A uh, legion in the Roman army represented anywhere between four to 6,000 soldiers, Four to 6,000 of the most highly trained and deadly soldiers on the planet. They are a powerful force, in many minds an unstoppable force. And this is the name that these demons choose to take on the idea that they are many and that they're an immovable, unstoppable force that just threw itself begging at the feet of Jesus. If that is not a picture, now I'm gonna say it again, right? Imagine it's four to six thousand demons that view themselves as an unstoppable force filling this man and then coming before the Son of God and throwing themselves at his feet. If that is not a picture of how the spiritual world views the power and authority of Jesus, and I don't know if there's a greater illustration that exists. We may be quite casual about Jesus, but I promise you that spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms are not. They, the same demons that cause this man to break chains, must bow and beg at the feet of Jesus, who is God in human form. Verse 10. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged, and let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So as I shared earlier, these disciples have just taken a boat through a storm where they saw Jesus command the wind and the waves, command nature itself to stop. They landed on shore... And when they saw that happen, right, they were asking themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And now imagine how much further their minds have been blown on the heels of that revelation. They're still wrapping their minds around to see Jesus casting out 6,000 or so demons into 2,000 pigs, causing the pigs to go crazy and jump over a cliff That is quite the exclamation point to Jesus' power and authority, is it not? And with this act, what Jesus has done is he has declared that he is not only the Lord of miracles and the Lord over all creation, but that Jesus is also Lord over any and every power that seeks to destroy our I don't think any of you guys have heard of Carlos Esteban Guzman Reyes. Uh, He's a young 12-year-old boy who lives in the Dominican Republic that our family supports each month through Compassion International. Carlos is a, a young boy who enjoys baseball. He enjoys playing basketball. He actually enjoys anything with balls. He enjoys playing with his toy cars. He loves to draw. We get a chance to see his drawings in letters that he sends us every couple of months or so, and one of his chores and his home is to carry water to the house because, unlike us, their home does not have running water, so that ends up being a daily chore of bringing water to the home. Carlos and his family, they love Jesus, but they're poor which is one of the reasons why they reached out to Compassion International and one of the reasons why our family supports them. And there have been a number of times where, as I hear about Carlos and think about Carlos and the story and and many others, right, that I wonder, and maybe you do too, that I wonder why God doesn't do more to help those in difficult circumstances, to help those who are poor, to help those who are suffering, Because after all, if we believe in the same Jesus, the Jesus who stopped a hurricane on a lake, does anyone in here really believe that God could not quench a fire, end a drought to provide food and water, to even stop sex trafficking if he wanted to? Of course he could. Could God provide abundance for Carlos and his family? Of course he could. And if we all believe God could do that, if he wanted to do that, then oftentimes we're in a situation where we can start wondering, well, then why doesn't he? And today isn't the day when we're going to dive into that debate, because that's a messy one and takes a bit of unraveling. But I do want us to look at how that thought impacts the story of Legion, because Legion, the man, not the host of demons, this man, whatever his name really was, is in a hellish place. The Bible tells us in this story what he does to himself. He is actively cutting himself, harming himself because he is so miserable. The people who know him, love him, who or once loved him, who were around him have decided that the only thing we can do is set him aside in a remote place, lock him up, tie him up, To keep him away from society. Because that seems to be the best answer we have for how to deal with crime and craziness. And you know what's funny is we have the exact same solution. That's all we have to deal with crime and craziness too, is to separate them and lock them up in some way, shape, or form and keep them far away from people. And the reason for this is because when it comes to misery, when it comes to pain, when it comes to craziness, mankind's options are few and they are limited. In this society, right, in the time of Jesus, that was all they knew how to do. In our society, we have a few more options. But you understand that our society is the wealthiest and most powerful society in the history of the world. We are the wealthiest and most powerful society that has ever existed. And our solutions for pain, struggle, misery, craziness are prison, hospitals, Medication, counseling, and extreme cases, the electric chair. That's it. That's what we have. Those are the best options the wealthiest and most powerful society in the history of the world has come up with to deal with pain, suffering, craziness, mental illness, and people that we just don't understand. That is the absolute best that anyone in this world who does not have Jesus can possibly hope to experience. And that's why this story is so important. Because I don't think we can really grasp the power, authority, and the wonder of Jesus until we reach the limits of what we can do, of what mankind can do. And those are the limits. man has. But Jesus is not bound by those same limits. Jesus is Lord over any and every power that seeks to destroy our lives. And so with that in mind, if we're to say, okay, I might go there with you, show me how that's true. Then we point to this story of legion, do we not? You know what's interesting when Jesus meets this man who is filled with demons and runs at him? And then Jesus commands these demons to go out. You realize what Jesus did not do. Jesus never asked him what crimes he's committed. Jesus never asked him what was it that caused you to be filled with six thousand demons. Because we understand—I don't know everything about demonology and possession, all that stuff—but what I do understand is that we have to invite them in. They can't. Demons just can't inhabit you of their own decision, and you have no say in it. If that was the case, we'd all be demon-possessed and all be demon-filled, right? Because that would be what Satan would want. No, there was something about this man that invited these demons into him. And 6,000, that's a lot of craziness to invite that in. And yet Jesus never asks him what crimes he's committed, never asks him what wicked things he has done, never asked him about his past. And Jesus never judges this man, and he never condemns this man, He doesn't treat this man either. What Jesus does is he restores him. He sees a man who is broken, and he makes him whole again. By casting out his demons, he gives him his sanity back. He gives him his pride. He gives him his life back. And only Jesus can do this. And that is as true today as it was true then. That is what it means when we're talking about Jesus as being Lord over any and every power that seeks to destroy our lives. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. It is fascinating to see the reaction of the crowd, because you would think that after witnessing an incredible miracle like this, most people would say, oh my gosh, who is this guy, and we need to get to know him better, and instead, the crowd does the exact opposite. And here points us to the strange truth that I believe is still true today, right? And the strange truth is that miracles don't necessarily change people. You ever notice that? I've had friends, and I'm sure most of you have too, who maybe don't believe in God or maybe you are disconnected from God or don't show up. At your, and they're just like, I am in this tough situation. Would you please pray for me? And we pray for them. And there have been these times when God has answered that prayer. And then we go to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I think it was God, but I'm sure it was because of some of the things I did, too. And they refuse to acknowledge it was God. Or even if they do acknowledge that it was God, it soon becomes forgotten, and they just move on with their lives. I've also had people that had a chance to share the gospel with. There are people that uh, don't know God. And they're where they're, you, know, if, uh, you know what would convince me to believe in God? If he showed up right in front of me. That would convince me, and then I'd believe. And if God really wanted me to believe, why wouldn't he do that? And my response to them is, no, you won't. Belief is a choice. But the Israelites in the desert under Moses, they saw God every single day, as a cloud by day, as a fire by night. And yet still, they did not believe. Still, they turned away to idols. Still, they denied God. Miracles are not enough to cause people, to cause everyone to believe in God and to put their faith in. In God. If it did, I promise you, God will perform miracles all the time. As a matter of fact, I would argue that He already does. Right? I agree that I, I would believe that miracles around us all the time, the miracle of life, the miracle of creation, the beauty, the stars, the moon, and all the, the ways our, our world and universe is ordered. That's a reflection of the miracle of God. And here's the thing though, when miracles become commonplace, they become what? Commonplace. That's just common. And so we look at these things, and we take them for granted, and that's probably what we would do if God performed miracles all the time as well. They'd stop being miracles. So no, miracles will not convince everyone that God is real, and they certainly won't believe enough to cause everyone to put their faith in God. There will always be people in the crowd who, in the face of something miraculous, will still choose to reject Jesus, and even, as you read in this story, in this case, beg for him to go away and leave them alone. And in this case, remarkably, Jesus being a gentleman does. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. So imagine Jesus preaching to this Jewish crowd, gets tired, decides to cross the other side of the lake, and you understand this is Jesus. So crossing the other side was not an accident or just like a whim, it was Jesus, right? So they cross through. They brave a storm, confronted a demon-possessed man in order to come to the other side of the lake to witness to the people there. And before Jesus gets to preach a single word to the crowd, they ask him to leave. And Jesus honors their wish. He turns right around. He goes back to the boat without preaching a single sermon, without speaking a single word. But Even though the multitudes have rejected Jesus, there is one man who does not, the once demon-possessed man, and he begs Jesus to be allowed to go with him. And instead of saying, yes, at least we got one disciple out of this God-forsaken place, Jesus says, no, no. I want you to stay. I want you to go back to your family. I want you to go into this area of 10 towns. The area was called Decapolis. It was 10 towns. I want you to go into this area and tell them your story. Tell them what you've seen, heard, experience tell them about me and this once demon-possessed man goes and does exactly that he goes and shares about jesus in the ten towns area and it says here right he began to proclaim the great things jesus has done with him and everyone was amazed by what he told them and for those of us who read the scriptures a little more deeply you might notice how two chapters later in mark chapter 7 Jesus returns to the same area, returns to this Decapolis ten-towns area, and this time the people are not asking Jesus to leave. Instead, they're running to him. And this time when they're running to him, they bring with them a deaf man and beg for Jesus to heal him. Jesus does. The people are amazed. So here is a story of how this once formerly demon-possessed man faithfully shares his testimony, an area with 10 different cities, and completely transforms how Jesus is viewed, how he is perceived, and opens the door for Jesus to minister there. Amazing. So, I know there has been a long story. I'm sure there are things that I missed or maybe said that was a bit confusing or didn't explain correctly. I'm sure there are thoughts that you guys have that are gonna be deep and intriguing, and I'm excited to hear those. So if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, now's the time to go ahead and text them to awakenqna at gmail.com, and I'm gonna tackle them in just a minute. Before I do, though, I wanna close with this idea. So I... uh I shared earlier that this story really isn't about Legion. It's really not about demons. It's really not about the disciples. It's about Jesus. And what this story does is it's revealing something about Jesus that Mark, the author, wants us to see. And what's revealing about Jesus is that this idea that I just summarized in, in this sentence is that Jesus is Lord over any and every power that seeks to destroy our lives. That is true. We need to be reminded of this because I think oftentimes we can miss or not perceive Jesus in his power and in his authority. We get caught up in the and fixated on the relational aspects of of Jesus, where how much he loves us, how much Jesus wants to be our friend, how much Jesus has compassion on us. And I don't want to make, I don't want to say that that's not true. That is absolutely important. Jesus shows his love and compassion in this story by crossing a lake through a storm to reach this ashore to find a man possessed by 6,000 demons in order to cast them out and restore this one man, to wholeness. One man. Jesus crossed through all of that in order to reach one man. That is love. That is compassion. So yes, Jesus does love us, and Jesus does show compassion towards us. But if that is all we see of Jesus, is all we see, all we are fixated on is his love and compassion, that we miss the whole picture, and you just can't love Jesus in bits and pieces. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way with any relationship, right? You can't love anyone in bits and pieces. If you love someone, you love all of them. And so in addition, if we understand, again, knowing Jesus to drive everything else, in addition to his love and compassion, we have to also understand that Jesus is also Lord over nature, over creation, over any and every power that seeks to destroy your life, over every spiritual force in the universe, whether they be angelic or demonic, our Jesus is a God of power and authority. And knowing Jesus means that we embrace and submit to this aspect of him. If our knowing Jesus encompasses nothing more than his love and compassion, then Jesus, God is toothless. If our knowing Jesus encompasses nothing more than his power and authority, then he is tyrannical. Having and seeing and embracing only a portion of him skews who Jesus is. And what I hope we pull out of this story in the book of Mark, chapter 5, is that this is a story where we see God's love and compassion intersect with his power and authority. And it's here that we get a clearer and fuller picture of who he is. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and tackle some Q&A.